This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. I wanted to meet my needs. I wanted to meet my needs. I wanted to open my eyes so that I can know you better. I wanted to open my eyes so that I can know you better. In the name of Jesus, I want to understand how you made me better. I want to understand your purpose for me better. I want to understand what you have done for me better. I want to become a better person. I want to become a better person. I want to become a better person. You know, come on, let your thirst, let it, let it, let it well up in, 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 into zeal. Come on. Let it well up into zeal. Let it well up into zeal. Talk to God this morning. Sing a melody in your heart to God. heaven is manifest here thank you Lord because your spirit breaks out amongst us thank you Lord because walls of confusion walls of ignorance walls of anxiety are broken down father we give you thanks thank you for revelation knowledge we honor you Lord Jesus in Jesus name we have prayed amen praise the Lord hallelujah praise God please have your seats welcome to church everybody <clears throat> it's good to see you Good to see you, Judah Flourish. Am I correct? That correct correctly. Judah Flourish. Good to see you. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, everybody. So what, this morning we're going to talk about the tripartite anatomy, and I couldn't think of any other way to put it. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing at me? <laughs> it means you guys know what anatomy means, right? I think it's straightforward now. No. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. Okay, so we're going to talk about how that man has three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And we're going to be discussing how that makeup, we're going to be discussing what the scriptures say about that human makeup, how man is made, man's ontology, right? So that's why I called it the tripartite, because there are three parts, three parts, the tripartite, the anatomy of that, those three parts, praise God. <laughs> you guys should stop laughing at me. Hallelujah. In my head, these things actually don't sound like big words, to be honest with you guys. In my head, when I say these things, they actually just sound like normal stuff. Hallelujah. So, the tripartite anatomy, spirit, soul, and body, right? And um, as, as is my way, and you guys know I really don't mean this, but um, there's a way that um, African Pentecostals have you know, looked at the topic, which is a carryover of the American Word of Faith movement, that has led to some emphasis 
that um, is not allowing the information that scripture gives us to be properly seen. Praise God. You know, there's a way you can emphasize something that it would um, begin to distort the information that the scripture suggests. You understand what I mean as we proceed? So we're going to talk about how man is made up. And it's going to be lay a foundation for a lot of things I'm going to be teaching after now. Do you understand? To lay a foundation for a lot of things that we'll be teaching after now. We'll be talking about um, how this... We'll be linking it up to the will of God for us. Salvation, how what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. How it influences this. How we are one with the Spirit. What does it mean? You know, and all the other things about how God speaks to us, how God moves us and directs us and makes his plans for our lives. How this tripartite anatomy of humanity, how it sinks perfectly into that picture that the scriptures, um, <laughs> that the picture that the scriptures, um, I'm looking for one more word, puncture for us. Features, thank you. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. So let's start from Malachi chapter 2. The mic is on. On this mic, Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Okay, before I, before I start, I want to first say this and lay this foundation so everybody can understand. So, the truth is that, the interesting thing about this topic is that, actually, the overwhelming majority of the time, when the Bible talks about man's makeup, it actually talks of man's nature in a dual sense, in two parts. The overwhelming majority of the time. He actually talks about man's nature as two parts the inner and the outer the body and the spirit the part that is seen and the part that is unseen that is the majority of the way that the bible talks about man's makeup the part that is seen and unseen it is in the new testament when some fine details became important especially for christian conduct in the analysis of redemption and how that changes our nature. It is in the New Testament when that, those fine details became important that the apostles will now spend time to focus on that inner man and what it is made up of. Do you understand? But that is very instructive. That entire paradigm, that entire way the Bible talks about it, is actually very instructive for us to understand it properly. Do you understand? So, Really, the way the Bible talks about the human nature overwhelmingly, it talks about man in, in, in it, in it, as a twofold entity that has a body and it has a spirit in quotes, spirit in air quotes, right? And you will see that Malachi chapter 2, from verse 15, he says, Has not the one God made you? Malachi speaking, he says, Has not the one God made you? That's God made you. And you belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So this chapter is talking about how that men have been um, abusing and committing psychological violence against their wives by being unfaithful to them and by divorcing them. That's what this chapter is, this chapter is about and talks about the, one of the major purposes of marriage, which is God's wisdom for creating godly offspring right it is one way of god perpetuating his plans and purposes on the earth marriage plays a major part in that if the marriage marriage is the family unit is destroyed the 
purpose of God for humanity, whereby God's value system, whereby the ministry of reconciliation is done on the earth, will actually be affected adversely. Praise God. So he now says, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. God made you and you belong to him. And how did he make you? In body and what? Spirit. And that's why for overwhelming majority of the time, the people of the old, there are a lot of things that the people of the old did not need to have fine details about. You can see flashes of it here and there, but they, were, they didn't need to major on it because of the paradigm that they were living under, because of the dispensation or the testament they were living under. There were a lot of things like that that they did not need to major in. For example, things like um, um, understanding Satan's personality and details of Satan. All those things were not major under the old. Do you understand that? You know, breaking down mind and spirit and all those kinds of things were not necessary under the old. Because what God was dealing with them at the time, the knowledge that God was imparting via the law of Moses, was a very particular law that would lay foundation to what was to come. Praise God. I will together, church. So you see, Malachi begins to tell us, tell us that God made us body and what? Spirit. I will together. So you see that dual nature, body and spirit. Dual nature. First Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is speaking about marriage here also, and he talks about the human makeup in a very in a very interesting way too. First Corinthians chapter seven. Let me start from verse thirty-three. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and what? Spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Do you see that? And a married woman, is, well, how did he put it now? He says her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and what? Spirit. Do you see that? His, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So it refers to a person's devotion to God as if the person's makeup is in two folds. The person's body and the person's spirit. Are we together? In body and in spirit. It's also interesting that Paul talking about body and spirit is talking about it the same way Malachi was talking about marriage. And there are a lot of things that if you read between the lines, Apostle Paul is actually speaking in New Testament, but he's just speaking from the Old Testament. Using the same words, using the same way, but just make it, you know, in the New Testament. You know, that's talk talk for another day. Hallelujah. Church up together. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians chapter seven. This is another very interesting place. Verse one says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and what? Spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Do you see that? Are we together? You see that? He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates what? Body and spirit. Hmm. See, there's something that you guys need to understand as I'm saying. Context is very important. Overwhelming majority of the time, the context is just to refer to the general makeup of humanity, which of, of human beings, which is the seen part and the unseen part. 
the seen part and the unseen part. And the seen part is body. The unseen part is what? Spirit. Pneuma. Breath. Or um, there's another way it's used in the Old Testament, right? It's basically the same thing. It's just to refer to the fact that human beings have an outward part and an inward part. An outward man and a what? Inner man. An inner man that cannot be seen. That is immaterial. That has different, that is made up of a different substance. And that different substance is not a materialistic substance, but a, an immaterial substance. And does not have, it doesn't have, it is not strictly bound by the same laws as that part which the outward man is bound by. Church altogether. It's very important you understand this because one of the things that happens in Pentecostal, you know, where there's an overemphasis and distortion of the idea is that people will use the context where the three parts are being emphasized to explain in detail. They will try and copy and paste the implication of those teachings on the parts where it is the two parts is talking about. So, in the places where the Bible tells us about inner man and outer, outer man, body and spirit, the word spirit there is not the same word, is not used in the same sense, or is not used to refer to the same makeup of man as in the place where it talks about body, soul, and spirit, or body, mind, and spirit, or body, heart, and spirit. Do you know what I just said now? In the place where he uses spirit in body, heart, and spirit, that word spirit is a more particular word or is a word that is referring to a more particular part of man. But the word spirit, where he says body and spirit, is used to refer to a larger range of the inner man of a person. Do you understand that? It's very important. And we are going to see how this has caused a lot of distortion, even up to the point of understanding what Jesus has done in us. That distortion leads to a misunderstanding of what Jesus has done in us. Are we together? Let's look at other scriptures to show that man is basically, most of the time, even, I know the funny thing is that even when we are preaching, when we are talking to people, most of the time, when we are referring to man, most of the time what we are referring to is actually the dual nature of body and what? Spirit. You also see in this teaching why there is an unhealthy emphasis on separating the mind and the spirit. Don't worry, let's go on. You see. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Apostle Paul speaking to the Colossian church now says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in what? Spirit. And I delight to see how your how, how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So he says, I'm present with you in spirit. That word spirit there is not just talking to talking about pneuma, the breath of life, the vitality of man. He's also talking about the fact that his mind is with them. Do you understand that? He's also talking about the fact that his mind, his awareness, his cognitive... I know that one now. His ability to understand that part of him that has memory, that part of him that can understand things, that part of his mind, his heart, is also with them. It's important that you stand. That the word spirit used to refer to man's makeup is not used the same way everywhere. Praise God. Church, out together. James chapter 2. This is a very nice one. That makes the point very well. James chapter 2. We all know this one. James chapter 2. Let's just go to verse 26. Since all of us know. Let's read from verse 25. 
in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? We all know what this portion is about, right? Faith versus works, isn't it? Verse 26 now says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is what? Dead. James also using the same thing. So just talk about the two parts of man. The immaterial part, where life is, and the body. So as the, as, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is what? Dead. So you see that? Two parts of man. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the what? Spirit. Do you see that? He was, he's referring to Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. He now says, was put at dead in the body, was put to death in the body, was what? Made alive in the spirit. He's talking about God, Jesus' incarnation. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 4, same book, chapter 4, verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. This is some eschatological stuff where Apostle Paul was um, citing the book of Enoch, right? And now says, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but alive according to God, according to God in regard to the what? Spirit. So he's talking about people that the gospel was preached to them after they had died. And he now says that these people were preached, that the gospel preached to them so that the same way we judge people that when they were alive in the body, right? When they were alive in the body, we preach the gospel to them and they rejected the gospel and whatever their results would be, and those that received the gospel, whatever their results would be, that same standard will be able to apply to people who are already dead, who are just spirits, such that, you see that, so that according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit, so that the spirit can still receive the gospel. So you see that, it talks about their body and their what? Spirit. Praise God. Church out together. So that's why I begin to see places like Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So you see that? So that the Spirit can strengthen you in your words, inner being. That is the sense in which he always uses the word body and spirit. Your spirit is your inner being. It is the word pneumat. So the word pneumat here refers to breath. And because you cannot see breath when a person is talking, except it's inside Hamatan, but you understand the figurative expression, right? You cannot see the breath coming out of a person, but you cannot see the air. In the same way, there's something alive inside of a person that you cannot see physically, but gives life to the person. It gives life to their body. It animates them. That part that we cannot see, that part of the person that we cannot see, uses the word pneuma to describe it. 
But that word pneuma does not mean the same thing in every place. That word pneuma can be used to just refer to the inner being. And there's another sense it can be used. And I'm going to show you now. Hallelujah. Church out together. Romans chapter 7. This is, this is another place where the, this description is important for, um, um, what do you call it? Understanding what Jesus has done. Romans chapter 7 from verse 21. It says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, are we together? For in my inner being, I, dis, I delight in God's law. So the inner man of the person delights in God's law. That's why I was saying that there's a lot of problem with overemphasis in some things. Just follow you, see now. But I see another work, another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. So, um, in my inner being, I want to do God's law. He now says, I see something at waging war against the, what how do you put it now? He says, against the law of my mind. I see something waging war against the law of my mind. So, the law of my mind, my mind is the inner being is referring to. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? My inner being wants to do God's law. Something is waging war against my mind. So, that inner being is my what? Mind. So, you see him referring to inner being as mind. Do you see that? You see him referring to inner being here as mind. Let's go on. And making me prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. So it shows us that that war, that principle, that law that is waging a war against his mind, against his inner being, is in the word body. Do you see that? Church, out together. That law that is waging a war against his mind or against his inner being is in his what? Body. Verse 25 now says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So you see that? Separate it again. So now he's now saying that the body, the sinful nature, that thing we inherited by reason of being a human being, by reason of being a descendant of Adam, by reason of biology, that biology has something at work in it that wages a war against your mind which knows the law of God and wants to do the law of God. Do you see that? Praise God. There are a lot of implications to these things. A lot of implications. We'll talk about all those things. A lot of implications. So you begin to see that the original sin, in quote, is not that a person is being punished for what Adam did. But if there's anything original, anything that we inherited from Adam, it is a biology. It is a body that has a nature that will sin. Do you understand that? Do you get that now? So you see that? There's the inner being and the outer being. Spirit and body. Hallelujah. But, there are times when, now, listen, so let me say it like this. So, if we say, for the overwhelming majority of the time, when we're talking about how human beings are made up, it is sufficient to talk about the fact that there's an inner man, something that we cannot see, and there's an outer man, something that we can see. But there are times when we have to make some fine details about the makeup of that inner man. 
You see that inner man that we can't see? There are times and there are some topics that come up where we have to understand in more detail what, what is happening there. For example, for example, think about an adult and a child. A child's physical mind has not grown up enough to understand what the mind of an adult understands. But there is a component of, an, of the inner man of a child that is ageless, that is the same as that of an adult. Do you understand what I just said now? Let me say it again. In the inner man of a child, there's an inner man of a child where the child like a baby now, like Didi now. She does not know what I know. She does not have the knowledge that I know. She does not have the psychological state that I have. But there's also a part of her called her spirit that if we don't have any bodies before God, is the same height, is the same weight in quotes, is the same thing. I hope you know that before God, when we stand, the spirit of a baby and the spirit of an adult, no one is older. Did you know that? Did you understand that? I hope you know that spirits don't have age. You do not know. <laughs> Listen to me. When you stand before God that day, if you are having the eyes of a human being, you will not recognize your child. Because you will be expecting to see a baby spirit. There is no baby spirit. There is no adult spirit. You will do not know. Ah, okay. There is no baby spirit. There is no adult spirit. All the spirits are the same before God. There is no male spirit. There is no female spirit. Do you see that? There is no male spirit. There is no female spirit. All the spirits are before God. Yet we know that there is a part of our inner man that is different. Whereby... A child's mind is different from the child, the mind of an adult. The average way of thinking of a man might be different. From, I'm talking about biopsychology and not based on values. I mean, psychological preponderance for, you know, for a man can be different from that of a woman. So, that part that does not grow old, that is the same as everybody's own, and that part that can be different, what differentiates them? Do you understand what I just said now? Do you get what I just said now? So, there are some topics that come up where you will look at the inner man and you will know that there's a part of that, that inner man that is the same for everybody. And there's a part that is different for anybody. How do you differentiate between that part that can be different from everybody and that part that can be the same for everybody? Let me give you another example. People that have um, cognitive problems, like maybe someone has um, a mental illness or someone was born with um, Down's, is a kind of Down syndrome and their minds are not, you know, working optimally, right? Or somebody that has an accident that damages their mind. Think about it. Be because of the fact that they are born with Down syndrome, does that make their value less than somebody that was not born with Down syndrome? So there's a part of us that is the same value, that is the same as everybody. But there's also a part of that inner man that does not seem to be the same as what everybody. How do you differentiate that part from that part? So that's where some of the times when these things come up in the Gospels, the apostles now went into it to separate and make us understand that in that inner man, there are still some things inside. In that inner man, there are still some things inside. Praise God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we begin to get a hint from it about this inner man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through our words, through. See that? He said, may God sanctify you 
through and through. That means in every part of you, God will sanctify you. He wants to lay an emphasis on everything inside of you. That's why he begins to say, God will sanctify you through. You see that? He wants to lay an emphasis on everything inside of you. He now says, God will sanctify you through and through. Then he now goes on. May your whole spirit, soul, and what? Body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, through and through, what are you? You are spirit, soul, and body. That inner man has two components. Spirit and what? Soul. That word soul there can also be called heart. It can also be called mind. So, you have something called a spirit. The seat of your consciousness. The seat of your vitality. The thing that gives your entire being life. The you that does not grow old, that does not reduce. The you that is of the same as every other person. And then there's an inner man part of you that is an... No way, I don't, let's not go into the definition. There's an inner man of you that is an interface between that your spirit and your, at the plane of existence where you are. That part can grow. It can change. It can be renewed. It can be temporarily damaged based on the place where you find yourself. Throw it all together. So you see that. He now says spirit, soul, and body. So we'll talk about that part more. Hallelujah. Praise God. Church all together. But this is the thing, right? This is the thing. Hallelujah. Now, everybody, listen. This is the thing. There is a reason why for most of the time, the Bible does not separate that soul and both spirit. There's a reason why overwhelming majority of the time, he just uses both of them together. And this is where the unhealthy emphasis on the differentiation. This is where it comes. Because this is a very interesting thing that people don't know. And we'll look at Bible now and we'll really get into it and really understand. Are we together? Praise God. So many scriptures in my head that I, I thought I wrote and I didn't actually write down. We'll see. We'll continue. So you see something. You see why that differentiation can be very unhealthy. Let me start from here. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any true double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the word spirit, joints and what marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the word heart. He says that the word of God is the only thing that is sharp, is sharp enough to divide the soul and spirit. And that is an explanation to tell you something. He now says it is the only thing that can separate joint and marrow. He uses joint and marrow, something physical, to try and explain the relationship between soul and body. I don't know how many people know biology enough here. Have you seen the human bone before and the bone marrow inside? The bone marrow and the bone have a relationship such that Many of the, what we call bone marrow, the cells in the bone marrow, are actually inside the, what we call the trabeculae of the bone matter itself. So, the cells that make blood, they are the bone marrow. Do you understand that? The cells that make blood, that make your red blood, they are in the bone marrow. But they are not, it's not like as if the bone is like a container and bone marrow is inside. From inside the bone itself, right, that's where those cells are. So, from inside the bone, they are present in the cells and they increase until they come into the space inside the bone. So, you cannot, say, you cannot take a person's leg and break it and say, I'm removing all the bone marrow. You can't. 
if you want to remove all the bone marrow, you will destroy the bone. If you want to remove the bone from the bone marrow, you will destroy the bone. So he's saying something here. The, of course, the writer of Hebrews is just explaining something here. Talking about the efficacy of God's word. How it can enter every part of our being and sort out issues in every part of our being. But there's a lesson and something instructive here. That when it comes to the inner being, and that's the reason why he keeps using those two words together. When it comes to the inner being, the soul and the spirit of a man are inseparable. You cannot separate them. You can, there's no one that exists without the other. Should I bust you so you can understand? God has a mind, but he's a spirit. Can you separate God's mind from his spirit? You've not thought about it before. God has a mind, and God is a spirit. But everywhere God is referred to, he's referred to as what? God is a what? Spirit. Or oh, you don't know God has a mind? You don't know? You think God does not have a mind? <laughs> of course God has a mind. But he's a spirit. How do you separate God's mind from his spirit, from who he is? You can't. You cannot. <laughs> you cannot. So, that is the reason why a more accurate way of looking at the human makeup is actually to think of the human being as a continuum. Because there's no other Okay, let me just hold on. The best way to look at a human being is to look at a human being as a continuum. Like a... Do you guys know what a continuum is? It is something that... Do you, have you seen the pictures of a rainbow before? Have you seen the com complete um, picture? Oh, God. Please, please help me. What I mean by a continuum is something that has different parts in it, but is, those different parts are mixed from one end to another. So picture something fading, picture a rainbow that starts at red. Yes, colors blending into each other. So picture a rainbow that has red on one side and blue on the other side. And then there are yellow and green and other things inside. And the culture blends from red to, it turns to orange and then it turns to yellow. And then from yellow it turns to green and then it turns to blue. Do you see that? So you cannot come and say, I'm going to break blue away from yellow. You will break it as where it is green, and some yellow will go, and some green will go, and it's not the same anymore. That is a better way to think of human beings. Human beings are actually spirit, soul, and body. For so long, we have said human being, a man is a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. As if those three are parts that you can separate. You cannot separate them. Human being is not just a body that has a soul that lives in a spirit. The human being is a soul. He's not just a spirit. He's a soul. And he's also the body. That is the reason why you can injure a person's physical body in terms of their brain matter and to affect their soul. Did you hear I just said to you now? That's why you can injure a person's brain and it will affect their soul. In fact, you can have some injuries to the brain that will change a person's personality. That's why a person can have psychiatric illness and it will be difficult for them to receive the gospel. And it is with the heart that we believe unto what? Salvation. That is the reason why when we are resurrected on the last day, we will be resurrected with a new body. Even in heaven, you will be spirit, soul, and what? Body. That's why God that is spirit but does not have a body, what he is is a spirit and a what? Mind. That's why when he came to earth, he came spirit, soul, and what? Body. That's why when he died, he died spirit, soul, and what? Body. One of the ways that Jesus could have scammed us if he was a charlatan is to say, 
I will die, but I'll resurrect. But I'll resurrect as a spirit. You nobody can prove him wrong. Withdraw your said now. If Jesus wanted to scam us, he could have said, When I die, I will resurrect as a spirit, but not as a body. So you will not see me, but I'm alive. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father bodily. There is no Jesus without his body. That's why I've been, as I was saying, but I told you I'll explain very well today. That's why this Gnostic and, you know, Docetistic mentality. I taught you guys on Wednesday. Don't look at me like that. I taught you last week Wednesday. Or upper week Wednesday. I told you what it means. If you don't understand, I will deal with you. This idea that physical matter, body, is rubbish. And the spirit is the good part. I think we should just I'm almost getting feedback here. That the spirit is the good part. But the body is rubbish material nonsense. Right? That this body is rubbish material nonsense. That idea. That's why we begin to say things like, um, when you sin, it's your body that sins. It's not your spirit. Did you hear what Apostle Paul just said now in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23? You know he just said now? He said, God will sanctify you. Spirit, soul, and what? Body. He said, it's my body that commits sin. It's not my spirit. My spirit is pure. So that's why I don't need to confess sins. Because the body committed sin. It does not concern my spirit. So I don't need to confess it. That's why I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why he that is born of God does not sin. What it means is that your spirit does not sin. I know a shame. You will just go to hell, spirit, soul, and what? Body. <laughs> just what I'm saying to you. Man is spirit, soul, and body. So, the unhealthy emphasis of separating them has some terrible implications in our, in our theology. It can have some terrible implications in our theology. One of the things that it does it can, is that it can, it can actually reduce your sanctification. By compartmentalizing your righteousness or compartmentalizing your sin, it can actually reduce your sanctification. Church out together. Like I told you guys, what do you used to believe? is not your heart. How come it's your spirit and body that are saved at the same time? Why are you believing with your heart and it's your entire being that is saved that is going to heaven? Why are you believing your heart and it qualifies you for a new body? She be his heart that believes. Eh, so let's leave salvation in the heart now. You cannot separate it. There's no way you can say a, a, man's, a, man's, a man's heart, the spirit of a man, a, a man's heart believes something but it does not concern his body. And that's why this thing actually measures up with the scientific data that is found. Maybe next Sunday, I will talk about some of the scientific data that we found. We'll talk about um, some near-death experiences. We'll talk about some things that are found in neuroscience that are very, very interesting. The mind and the spirit are very, very hard to differentiate, but there are some differences. Like a continuum, the, the, the most outward part of the mind can seem very different from the most innermost part of the spirit. But there are places in between where they are blended that you cannot separate them. So those outward part, the most outward part of the spirit or the most outward part of the mind, there are some things that we have even found in science that are evidence of it. For example, one of the things that we found is how that there is a part inside of a man whereby a man can meditate or use to correct physical brain defects 
that also affect the mind. Weird stuff. Like really weird stuff. How that people can, in their consciousness, by being conscious, can have organic issues with the brain, like organic issues that are affecting their mind. And it will begin to change their mind. Their mind will begin to heal. So there is something that is not their mind, that has an effect on their mind, that as it's affecting their mind, begins to affect their body. Don't worry, I'll, I'll give you the data next week. Interesting stuff. There are some that even found physical, real um, trauma to the brain. And before, they always thought that before, they used to think that the brain, when you're an adult, the brain can never change. Now, they actually began to find, find that there are some things that you can do that will actually rewire your brain. There's a part of you that you can use to rewire your brain. They found this data in so many places. For example, one of the ones that they, they are now using all the time in neuroscience is the one of um, pornography. How that by watching pornography, by using your body to watch pornography, you can affect your mind. Do you know why? Because as you're watching pornography, you are creating neural networks that is encouraging your brain cells to grow in a certain way that begins to affect your mind. And how people can begin to break that addiction by using a part of them to stop work, watching those things and stop doing those things that begins to rewire their brain and begins to change their mind. <laughs> it shock you. There is a part of you that is above your mind that can affect your mind and by affecting your mind can affect your body. That part is what they call the problem of consciousness. The science does not understand it. Nobody understands how it works. There's nothing physical about it. There's another dimension of it that's very, very weird. When they look at your brain and they map your brain, the part that sees color is there from the part that sees shape? Is there from the part that sees smell? Is there from the part that has knowledge? Is there from the part that, you know, does that and all that? But when you are seeing something, you don't see Joanna's shape, you don't see Joanna's color, you don't see your feelings about her separate. Everything comes together and everything is interpreted together and everything is seen as one entity. When they do studies on the brain, all those MRI and all those things, whenever you are looking at those different parts, it is different parts of your brain that is lighting up, but there is a part of you that they don't know where it is in the brain, it's not in the brain, that is putting all the information together and processing it and it's not in the brain. They've checked. Right now, we have mapped the entire human brain. We've mapped it. We have numbers for every sector. There's a part that puts everything together. is not there. <laughs> Church out together. But at the same time, you cannot say, ah, so that part that is not there is not the brain. Because if you damage the brain, you will not be okay. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Let me show you some stuff. Let me show you the Bible's take on all these things. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. From verse 14. Let me read from verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but, it's not, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. You see that? So there's a spirit and there's a body. Follow. And now says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your, adopt- your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our what? Spirit. In this context, don't forget that this is chapter 8. At the end of chapter 7, scroll back up. Just open your Bible to the other side. Scroll back to chapter 7, verse 25. Don't forget that when the Bible was written, it was not written in chapters. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come and sit here. Come and sit here. Praise God. If you scroll back to chapter 7, verse 25, you see where he says, So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, and in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Do you understand? So that entire, is not, you know, there is no chapter. He was continuing what he was saying. He now goes to that um, um, chapter 8 that we read now, and he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. So there is a mind. Do you see that? There is a mind where a man can know the law of God, and the body will be troubling the mind. But then there's a spirit whereby the spirit of God testifies with your spirit that you're a child of God. Do you understand that? So that place, that place inside of you, that the spirit of God and your spirit testify, that your spirit testifies with your spirit, that you're a child of God, is an immaterial part of you. Somewhere deeper inside that is not the mind. Where you can, it can get some kind of knowledge that is not necessarily physically acquired. That's why the way the mind is, there are two places by which knowledge can come. It can come from the body dimension and it can come from the what? Spirit dimension. Do you understand what I just said to you now? The way your mind is, your heart is. Your heart can receive information from two directions. It can receive direction spirit's word. It can receive direction from the what? Body. That's why the ancient Greek philosophers will be saying some things. When they are philosophizing, they begin to say some things like there is some, especially all these Platonists and New Platonists, they will tell you that there are some knowledge that we know, that we have, that we were never taught. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There's some knowledge that we have that we were never taught physically. If you've raised a child before, you understand what I'm saying. There are some things that these children do. There are some ways that they act. It's really when it comes to reacting to people that nobody taught them, they just knew. So your mind actually receives information from two directions. So he's saying that there is, there is a dimension of information that you cannot know with your physical body and your senses. The information whereby you know that God is your father, that dimension of information is the spirit that testifies with your spirit. That dimension of information comes from you, your spirit. So I get what I'm saying to you. That's why you see this thing about um, um, people getting saved. It's a very interesting matter. Praise God. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six from verse fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. So your physical body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You should not unite your body with a prostitute, right? And now says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become what? One flesh. 
but whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit with him. He says, whoever is united to the Lord is one spirit with him. So, there's a dimension of you that is called, that is united with the Lord who is a spirit and is one spirit with him. Do you understand that? But Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 also tells us, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's, God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So there's an inner man of you that is not united with the Spirit in quotes. Why? Because that part of you is a part that can be conformed to the world. It can be renewed. It can grow. But there's a part of you that is united with the Spirit and is one Spirit with the Lord. That means that part cannot be improved on. There's no addition. That's why I always tell you there's no age in the Spirit. That part of you is a matter of ontology. You are that spirit is 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 either something or it is not. That's what I just said. Hmm. Holy Spirit, help me. What I mean is, that part of you is it exists by itself. God created it in a particular way. That part does not change. That, that part does not progress or develop. It is either in a particular way or it is not in a particular way. So it is either alive, and by alive I mean it is united with the source of life, with the Zoe. Or it is dead. By that, I mean it is separated from the source of life. That's why people might have said before that if you are not saved, you don't, your spirit is dead. Your spirit is not alive. Not like that. Whether a person is a Christian or not, you are spirit, soul, and what? Body. The life that a person has. When we say a person's spirit is alive to God, what it means is that the person, person's spirit is now one with the spirit of God. He is now corrected to the source of eternal life. So the life of God, God who is life, is inside of him. So he has that life and that is why his words are life. Do you understand what I just said now? <laughs> My own school. When guys used to preach, yeah, I've actually legit heard this thing before. And that's why I said undue emphasis leads to rubbish. You see, if you are not a child of God, you are just like a monkey or a baboon. You have mind and body, but you don't have spirit. Is when you believe that God will now give you a spirit, you will now be alive. <laughs> no. Church, are we together? All of us, we are going to stand before Christ on that day as spirits, in terms of spirit and mind. On that day, both all of us, Christian or not Christian, believed or not believed, and all of us would give accounts according to what we have done in the flesh. Church, are we together? So you see, your spirit is one with the spirit of God, yet there's a part of that inner man that can be renewed. Where exactly they turn from spirit to mind, we don't know. But we know that when we look at the actual part of the spirit and the actual part of the mind, there are a lot of distinctions that we can tell. But where it overlaps in between, because I don't want to work too philosophical now. One of the terrible questions, if you are philosophical, can there something for you to think about? One of the places where you cannot tell where they overlap is the issue of awareness. What is awareness? What is awareness? We know the spirit is, is, is uh, alive because even a mind that is damaged or a mind that is a baby or a mind that has any issue, the person can still have awareness. But at the same time, we see that when a person's mind is damaged, the person's level of awareness or consciousness. In medicine, we call it altered state of consciousness. So, that issue of awareness, where do you draw it? He said, there's only the word of God that can put... If 
the Bible is not obsessed about trying to separate it, so what is your own problem? What is your problem building theology about trying to separate the two of them? You will never have them separately. There is no part of you, there is no existence of you that will ever have them separately. Can you separate God's mind from his spirit? You can't. Church all together. Another very interesting scripture that for the sake of, that's what I was telling you that see, there are certain points where some fine details have to be highlighted where the apostles now begin to show us the differences in that inner man. Hallelujah. This is another very interesting one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is one of the major places where the implication of the, diff- of the um, makeup of that inner man is highlighted. Verse 1. We are going to read, we are going to try to read everything so we can really get it. Verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and effort and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. What is that themselves that is edified? He now says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So he begins to say that there is a part of a person that can be edified when they pray in the Spirit. Now let's go on. Now, brothers and sisters, I come to you as... If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone who how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is, there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, you, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gift of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now see what he now says. He now says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit does what? Praise, but my mind is a word unfruitful. Do you see that? So there is when you want to get into certain details, there's a point where a man's spirit is praying, but their mind does not understand what is being said. However, it does not mean that that mind is not edified. We will talk about that one later. Because one of the things that we do is that we equate unfruitful and unedified. <laughs> we, we equate you don't understand the tongue to mean that you are not edified. They are not the same. The essence of understanding. You know, let's, let's, let's go on. Church, all together. So, verse 15 says, So, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my understanding also. So that when you have the understanding, you can use it to help people. You can use it to edify the church. Hallelujah. Church, all together. So your spirit can pray 
and your mind will not understand what your spirit is saying. Your spirit can pray and the, um, how would I put it? The, the knowledge of what your spirit has said will not yet be in your mind. But the power, the immaterial, the immaterial power of what your spirit is generating can affect your mind. So that you can pray in the spirit and not understand a tongue of what you have said and stand up and be bold. You know I just said no. <laughs> you can pray in the spirit and you not understand the word of what you have said. And you finish the prayer and you'll be bold. You finish the prayer and for some reason you are not anxious. You have been built up, but you don't understand what you have said. You, you'll be afraid. You are afraid you are waiting for a call back from somebody and it is killing you, choking you. Just, you can see that. Just be praying in the spirits. All those kind of prayer like just off yourself. And for some reason, you just stand up and the fear and the anxiety is what? Gone. And you do not understand a word of what you have said. So there is a way that there is a part of you can do some things that can be affecting your mind. There are some things about these spiritual issues and all these neuroscience eh, that we cannot understand with using all this physical stuff. Church out together. So, let me show you something. First Corinthians chapter 1. No, it's chapter 2. It's chapter 2. It's chapter 2. From verse 9 it says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no man mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his what? Spirit. God has revealed it to us by his spirit. There's some information. And of course, you know what these things are. It is not, um, God has not seen, um, no eye has ever seen someone becoming the president of Nigeria. Obviously, someone has become president of Nigeria before. It's not that no eye has ever seen somebody becoming a female woman becoming the director general of World Trade Organization. Obviously, the eye has seen it before. So, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's not talking about materialistic achievements. Do you understand? You will not be the first person to marry. There's no amount of money you want to make that you'll be the first person to make it. There's no amount of fame that you want to have that you'll be the first person that will make it that somebody has not seen before. There's no amount of children. There's no amount of IQ. There's no amount of material acquisition that eye has not seen before, that ear has not heard. He was talking about what God was going to do in humanity. That God will now be alive inside of human beings. Nobody has ever heard it before. No worldly system, no philosophy in their wildest imaginations can imagine or concoct that God, the creator of the universe, will come and live inside human beings. Do you understand that? So that's why if you read everything before it, you see that what he's talking about is what? The gospel. He now says... These are the things that God has revealed to us by his words, spirits. The spirit searches all things, even the thing, deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit? So look at the use of spirit he's using. He's talking about spirit, knowledge, understanding, teaching. Within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of what? God. So you see, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So God is spirit. God has a mind 
and he's a spirit and you cannot what? Separate them. You cannot separate them. God is maximally good. His mind and spirit and all that he is, the Trinity and all that, is in perfect union and agreement. So that's why you, the talk of God's mind and God's spirit being different is, you know, cannot be, does not even follow. But in human beings, because we are created entities, because we are in this world, in this fallen, broken world, there can be um, disagreements within your body. So within your being. So the mind of a person can be conformed to the world and his spirit is united with God. But all those issues from this broken world, all those things that are the result of our mortality, all those things are going to be reconciled in the world after now. However, the point which is important for emphasis, which is going to lay the foundation of what I'm going to be teaching you is this. Man is spirit, soul, and what? Body. Man is spirit, soul, and body. If there is an incongruence in any part of the man's makeup, there are ways which by the spirit you can get all the other parts to fall in line. That's why a person's body can be male and their mind will think they are female. You know, there are problems. A man's spirit can be united with God and he'll be talking like an unbeliever. It's what they call spiritual dysphoria. Glory to God. I've coined the word for them. Write it down. So as a man can have the body of a man, but be thinking he's a woman and be looking for woman's clothes, a man can be saved and be united with God and be behaving like a non-believer. It's spiritual dysphoria. Hallelujah. What do you do for them? We don't do gender reconstructive surgery or spirit disconstructive. We don't say, okay, be behaving anyhow. Be behaving anyhow because you, you don't, you are not feeling it, you know, you, you are not feeling saved. So you can continue to be feeling and be acting like he's like a child of Satan. No. What shall we do? <laughs> Your head must correct. <laughs> Your head must what? Correct. We're not going to be participating in your delusions. We're not going to join you. <laughs> Remember I was in medical school, level level. My psychiatry posting was one of the very most hilarious things I saw. I met a, a lady that believed she was Jesus' girlfriend. She was on the world, admitted. She believed, as in, you could not change her mind. She believed that she was Jesus, and she would see all kinds of blasphemous things. She would say, ah, Jesus in here, ah. That's in Yoruba. You say, in Yoruba, she would say, Jesus in here, ah. Me, I used to have sex, ah. He's my babe now, waiting the world, and she actually believed it. But with the right treatment, a little ECT shocking, a little medicine here, a little talk there, some months later, her eye had cleared. She know that ah, Jesus, but I had cleared. In the same way, we will not say because your spirit is saved, you will be behaving like a non-believer. I will not allow you. We cannot allow you. We will treat you. We will take care of you. <laughs> Church, are we together? We will take care of you. So that's why it's not shocking. There's nothing strange about it. A person is a child of God and the person does not feel saved. It's not strange. We will help you. Don't worry. You know? And there are ways from the scripture that we have all these things taken care of. Hallelujah. Church out together. Another very important part that you must understand as the implication of all these things, which we shall talk about, is that your body is not that useless part of you that is not important. Your body is you. You know what I just said now? You are not just a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body 
as if your body is a milo container. You know those common analogies that we used to use when we were growing up? That your body is a milo container. They will now say, if I pour the milo inside another container, is the milo container not still there? But is the substance not still there? They say, yes. Yeah. Say, that is how your spirit eh, eh. You cannot pour the milo out, oh. If you pour the milo out, he has, he's dead. Do you know I just said now? You've not heard the analogy before. You guys don't go to go Sunday school. He said, ah, you can, you see, your body is like a milk container. The spirit is inside, right? The mind, where is it? He said, the spirit is inside. You can pour the milk out, but the milk will still be intact. And the milk container is a lie. You cannot pour it out. It does not pour. If they pour it out, it does not exist anymore. A better analogy would be something like um, a car with engine and wheels and a body. You now say, let's remove the engine. The car will be going. Is it a car again? Will you buy it? And that's even a bad analogy. Because there's a people that will still buy it and say they want to put the engine inside. <laughs> and that's still a bad analogy, but at least it helps to get your mind. There is no car without the engine. So in the same way, you must take care of your bodies. Your body is important. That's one of the things that the Gnostics and Docetists were saying. I was telling you guys about the early church heresies. So they were so convinced that the body was a bad thing, that it was a terrible thing, it's part of this world, it's ewe, it's yucky, the spirit is good, that when they reasoned it out logically, they found themselves saying things like, because the body is yucky, Jesus could not have had a physical body. They now began to say things like, when people were seeing Jesus on the earth, that actually, Jesus, it was like the olden days when the Bible says that God came in the form of physical, like angels came and saw Jesus, and Abraham saw God speaking, walking as angels and all that. So what happened was that Jesus supernaturally made people feel like he had a physical body, but it was not an actual physical body. You see, because a physical body is dirty. See, now, see, now that is the reason why when pressed, this is why all them, Tertullian and Origin, finished all of them, finished them, they killed the heresy. When pressed, you now get to the point of, so what was crucified? It now says, no. What was crucified was not really a body, actually. What happened was that it was another person's body that supernaturally they thought it was the face of that person. That is the rubbish, those heresies that, um, that were around in the Roman Empire, in, um, in Jerusalem, in Rome at the time, that um, emperor, what's his name? It was, no, no, no. There's one emperor that banished all the heretics from Rome. That all of them fled to Saudi Arabia. Those were the heresies that they fled to Saudi Arabia with, and they were gisting about that bros, bros, um, peace be upon him, head that he now incorporated into his secretism that he called new religion. And I begin to say, eh, eh, he did not really die. When we ask him, say, eh, he's the son of God, though, but he had a body, but he did not really die. When they're about to die, they put the face of Judas Iscariot. It was a heresy. It was a docetist heresy that was going around at the time after they had banished them from Rome. You, you understand the connection now? That's where it came from. <laughs> That's where it came from. All from this idea, this suggestion that the human body is something terrible, that is bad, that is not important. It is where sin is. It is not who you are. It is who you are. Do you know what I just said to you now? It is who you are. Jesus was, he suffered bodily, was killed bodily, was resurrected bodily. That's why when he rose from the dead, he said it is, he ate. 
when he rose from the dead, do you know that? He ate. He, he said, touch, 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 touch it. If the body was something that was bad, he would not, of course, you know, there are some dimensions that came into the body that renew it so you could walk through walls and it could physically disappear, that kind of thing, right? Fine. But see, you see this body? His body is you. Don't say, my body is rubbish. Can you call? Um, so body is not important. This one, if the body was not important, all these things that gift of healing will not be there. You just die and die, and you say the body is not important. God will not bother healing you. If the body was not important, all the gifts that God has put in the natural world, by which our bodies are nourished and sustained, that we enjoy and give us pleasure, they will not be there. It is even an incoherent stance that you cannot follow for long. You can't carry it for long. There's no way you can say the body is not important. The body is not important. And you will, the body is not important, but libido is catching you. Is it not catching you? Say, body is not important. You are hungry. Will you not eat? Is it not this same sex that people are using and using and using and using to deny God? If the body is not important, the sexual attraction that they told you that God does not want you to be committing sex outside of marriage, that is making you angry, that because of that you are not saying Christians are bad. The church is bad. There is no God. Is it not the body that led you there? You are going to hell because your body head is not correct. <laughs> the end of your body. <laughs> this body is important too. There are a lot of people that will actually make the wrong decisions about their eternity because of what is at work in their body. Your body is you. That's why no two of us look exactly alike. Do you, you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why there's no two lives. There's no two lives. You cannot say, uh, is your body just the container? Oh yeah, now kill it and pour it into another one. Let's see. Are we together? Praise God. Please everybody put your phone on silence. Church, are we together? That's why there's nobody that will say, uh, you forget all these movies that we always watch, uh, Freaky Friday and Spirit Enter another person's body. Another person's body. It does not work. It does not work. You see all those uh, things that uh, one person's spirit is another person's body. And I say, ah, I'm a girl now. Ah, I'm a boy now. It's a very, it's a very terrible misunderstanding of what makes up a man. You see, there are many things about you that is so connected to the kind of body that you have. You cannot separate it. You cannot. If they drop your body, you are gone. So the implication of it is that you take care of your body. It's also the reason why we can confidently desire that God will fix things in our body. Do you understand what I just said now? You don't understand. It is with this same body that you bring other human beings into this world. How do you want to separate a person's body and their inner being? Think about it. It is with the body that you bring a human being that has a spirit into this world. How do you want to separate it? How do you want to separate it? So your body is important. You take care of your body. You are taking care of yourself. And it's the reason why you must respect other people's bodies too. It is who they are. You cannot say your body is not important now. We'll maltreat another person's body. It is who they are. You take care of your body. You treat your body well. There's one terrible way that people read down scripture. First Corinthians chapter 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. He said the bodily exercise profited little, but spiritual exercise is profitable unto all things. And people think that bodily exercise there means um, bodily exercise means little as per little. 
as in absolute, in absolute things, will be to know. Not at all. He's talking about in relation to what? Spiritual exercise. There's no amount of gyming that you can be gyming. You're not praying the spirit, you're not doing spiritual exercise. That you cannot compare pray, um, spiritual exercise to physical exercise in terms of bodily quality. Do you know why? Because there's nothing that your body bodily exercise can afford you that your how will I put it? Let me put it like this. There's nothing <clears throat> your spiritual exercise has the ability to affect your body. But your bodily exercise cannot change your spirits. Do you understand what I just said to you now? Let me give you one good example. Generally, I was on my own. I was going, I beating what I like. I will do everything I like and everything. And all of a sudden, I'll be praying in the morning. True life story. God is my witness and my wife is my witness. Generally, I'll be praying in the morning and I'll be hearing, hmm. start exercising and watch what you're eating. I know it's shame me. A light, a light, some will be lie. He's not, I'm not whining you. You'll be praying and you'll be hearing, hmm. Benny, start taking care of your body. Start taking care of your body. <clears throat> I beg you. Women of the spirits. Mm, I beg you. <laughs> ah, so that I'll be telling myself, me, everybody in my family, they have warrior gene. My grandfather died 100 and something, no hypertension. My grandmother is 90 something, no hypertension. My father and mother, no hypertension, no diabetes. Genes land so ye. Jeans to what quality jeans? That's sorry for those that don't understand you, but we're talking about quality jeans here. I mean, that was, I'm, I'm, I, my wife would tell you, I would say, mm, <laughs> So that's that one that I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to answer this prompting. I went to the gym, and now it's all this uh, middle class people's gym. He said, sit down. Before you register in this place, also, we don't want to come and die on our gym. We'll do body check for you, we'll do your BMI and everything. And then um, before we now register you and all that. If your BMI is not with your iPad, if your this is not, we cannot register, you take your money back. I say, ah, what do your jeans need? Me that all my life, even when people were, all of you be stressing yourself, your heart rate will be counting into something, into something. No exercise, my heart, my resting heart rate is 70, 68. Fuck that, how has jeans need? We're talking jeans here. That's how they deal with the proper pressure. And I saw, eh, no, 11390, I said, check it again. Check it again, it's not possible, I'm a doctor. Check it again. The diastolic was 90. Check it the third time. 90. What is the weight? I'm not going to tell you the weight because I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> what is the BMI? That's it. Oh my God. You see the vengeance I've been to work. People are saying, what's wrong with this one? That's the vengeance I'm using. You know, is from that anger. And everything started from the spirit warning you. God knows that I did not have anything physical in my body that I was feeling that prompted me to go and start doing all those things. I didn't have anything physical, nothing. I didn't feel anything. And it was just something pushing you. Only for them to go and check you up. Now discover that in your 30s and your diastolic blood pressure is already getting hypertensive with all your good genes. As a doctor, I know for a fact that if I consider continuing that line, I will have problems. And I did not feel it. It was the spirit that warned me. So when he says bodily exercise profited little, he's not saying that it is nonsense. He's telling you that spiritual exercise is far, far more valuable than it. But that little is like magnesium and potassium. You say you need little potassium. How many potassium? 0 0.3 micrograms. But that micrograms, if you don't have, your body just be doing like this. You say potassium is, is a micronutrient. You don't need much of it. But if you don't have it, your body will just be, you just be, you just be like someone that is possessed. 
So you don't need much manganese. How much manganese do you need? 0 0.0 nickel. Don't have it. Then you will know that there's a problem. Your hand will just be like this. It's really funny. <laughs> I'm not joking. Church, I was together. So when he says this prayer, but like that prophetically, he's not saying that, uh, he's not, not that if not, when Timothy was having whatever health issues he was having, you won't be saying be used medicine. You will not say, you're a man of God, your body is about to die. Our outward man perishes, but our inner man is being renewed from day to day. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's say that though. You didn't say that. Church out together. Because you are spirit, soul, and what? Body. Hallelujah. Church out together. So I think this is a good place to start. So next Sunday, we'll continue from here. And then we'll begin to see the implications of this understanding with regards to salvation, with regards to the purpose of God for our lives, and all of that things. Hallelujah. So can we, give, can we bow down our heads and let's pray? Can we bow down our heads and let's pray? Bow down our heads and let's pray. Let's bow down our heads. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Thank you.